Thanks for coming, everyone, on such a beautiful day. But um, I think our readings will evoke spring here because the animals are going to be present. Um, these medieval fables are taken from a number of sources. Most of them are from Latin sources, but a couple of them are in the vernacular languages, like English, Italian, and French. Some of the fables are direct descendants of the Aesopic tradition, so some of you might recognize these fables from your own experience and reading. Others, though, are medieval in origin. All of them, though, are written to be relevant to medieval concerns, and they're suitable to medieval moral environments. So they're not really finely classical fables by the time we're getting a hold of them. Some of these fables have morals attached to them, but others don't, and you have to kind of figure out what they're trying to illustrate, almost like riddles. Some of them provide quite open topical satire on things like the, the corrupt church, or the legal system, or the social classes. Some of them are really funny. I think we're going to see some laughing here. Others are more serious, so there's just a great variety of narrative here. Now, animal fables tend to form part of the school curriculum for young boys. As boys learned Latin in, in primary school, the fables would help them with vocabulary, grammar, etc., by giving them memorable little stories to entertain them and to sort of get them to think about morality, too. But they already might have been known, they, the little boys might already have known some of these stories because a lot of them have very deep roots in the folk tradition and might have been passed along orally from family to family um, from time immemorial, at least in their barest outlines. I think adults liked these stories too, and the social satire provides an outlet for very adult concerns about corruption in social institutions. The fables do something else, too. They teach children about animal behavior. Sometimes the animal portraits, though, are based on stereotypes about animals and prejudices that humans have about the beasts. But the fables show some surprisingly accurate observations about animal habitat, animal food, the differences between wild and domestic animals, you know, very basic knowledge about the animal world. And this is very useful knowledge for young people to have. Um, hopefully, we'll have some time at the end to discuss these fables or answer questions about them. I'd like to introduce Amanda Gerber and Ryan Judkins. They're doctoral students in our program in English. And we're going to divide the fables um, really into three groups. We're going to do the first, which is about social satire. Then we're going to do a group uh, concerning general morals. And then we're going to do a longer, more elaborate fable at the very end. So we really have a kind of three-pronged program here. So with that, I think I'll begin. And I'm going to read you the first of our social satire fables. It's called The Dog and the Sheep. A deceitful dog brought a sheep to court, claiming falsely that the sheep had not returned a loaf of bread he had loaned her. The sheep pled before the judge, This is all a lie. He never lent me anything. 
the judge asked the dog if there were any witnesses that could back his suit. The dog replied, oh yeah, yeah, I've got two witnesses, a wolf and a kite. He brought forward his two witnesses and each of them swore under oath that everything the dog said was true. The judge then said to the sheep, why are you denying that the dog lent you the bread? Why are you lying about such petty stuff? Return the bread to the dog. The poor sheep couldn't comply because she had no bread. She had nothing. So she had to sell her woolen fleece to pay the court settlement. And then she froze to death in the winter. After she died, the dog, the wolf, and the kite all shared her carcass for a fine day's meal. This fable serves to teach us that many men force the poor to go to court where they use lies and deceit. They also bring false witnesses who themselves benefit from the losses of the poor. The rich just don't care as long as they get what they want. Okay, all right. The next one here is called The Frogs Ask for a King. Once there were frogs living in the ditches and the ponds, and they got together and decided to make a request to Jupiter to give them a king. Jupiter complied and threw a big piece of wood into the water and told them that was their new king. The frogs were frightened at the noise the wood made when it splashed. But when they finally approached it, they saw that it was just a piece of rotten wood. They turned to Jupiter and prayed to him sweetly that they'd be given a new, better king. So Jupiter gave them a heron as their king. The heron proceeded to eat all the frogs, one after the other. And when the frogs saw that their king was destroying them, they wept tenderly to Jupiter and implored him to deliver them from the throat of the tyrant. No, said Jupiter, you've been given everything you've asked for. The moral of this fable is that one should value one's freedom and be careful in choosing a king. <laughs> the next one is entitled The Mouse and the Cat. A mouse once accidentally fell into a vat of brewing beer. A cat passed by and heard the mouse screaming and crying for help. What are you squawking about? asked the cat. I'm drowning, said the mouse. What will you give me if I pull you out? asked the cat. And the mouse answered, I'll do anything you ask. The cat then said, If I pull you out, will you promise on oath that you'll come to me whenever I call you in the future? The mouse said, Yes, I give you my solemn promise on oath. The cat then saved the mouse. Later that week, when the cat felt hungry, he showed up at the mouse's hole and called for the mouse to appear. Don't forget that you promised me you'd come when I called, said the cat. Oh no, said the mouse. I didn't mean what I promised. I was drunk when I made that vow. <laughs> Thus it is with many men. When they are ill or endangered or imprisoned, they make pledges that they have no intention of keeping. Okay. This is called the Lion King. Once a lion was made king of all the other beasts, he called in an ape to see him 
and he asked the ape, "Ape, does my breath stink?" The ape, quite truthfully, said, "Yes, indeed, sir. Your breath is foul." Angrily, the lion had the ape immediately put to death for treason. The lion then called in a sheep. Sheep, does my breath stink? The sheep, too terrified to speak, said nothing, and the lion had the sheep put to death immediately for failure to obey. The lion then called in a fox. Fox, does my breath stink? The fox, craftily and in a flattering fashion, hoping to preserve his life, said, "Oh no, my lord, your breath is as sweet as perfume." The lion then immediately had the fox put to death for being a liar. Okay, the moral of the story is that one should flee tyrants, for tyrants will imperil all who surround them. This one is entitled "The Cat as Monk." In a certain pantry, there was a cat who had caught and eaten most of the mice who lived there, all except one for one last little mouse. In order to catch this last fellow, the cat pretended to be a monk, shaving the crown of his head and putting on a skull cap. When the mouse saw this, he rejoiced in the belief that the cat would no longer chase him. Or want to do him harm, the mouse for, therefore ran hither and thither and paid no attention to the cat monk. The cat monk averted his eyes and pretended to avoid the vanity of all worldly appetites. One day, however, when the mouse got close to him, the cat seized it and held it fast in his claws. The mouse shrieked, "Why do you act so cruelly? Why don't you let me go? Haven't you become a monk?" The cat replied, "I'm a monk when I want to be, but when I want to, I'm a bishop." And with that, he devoured the mouse. That must be satire on bishops. <laughs> I, um, I can't figure that out. I think bishops were very grasping. <laughs> um, this one's called the bat. Once the lion, king of beasts, declared war on the birds, and he mustered his troops together. The eagle, leader of the bird kingdom, got his troops ready too. The bat watched, but he didn't know what side he was on, being a little like a bird and a little like an animal. He wanted to be on the winning side, though, so he surveyed the battle cautiously from the top of a tree, figuring that the beasts had more troops. He decided to join them, and he entered the battalion of the mice. As the battle raged on, the bat realized that the birds were taking the lead. So he covered up his feet, deserted the animal troops, crept over to the other side, and joined the side of the birds. When he got over to their side, he spread his wings to show solidarity with them. But alas, when he spread open his wings, his feet were uncovered, and everyone could then see his treachery and disloyalty. Both the animals and the birds cried out against the bat, desiring God to punish it. 
and it was punished indeed. The creator took away its eyesight and stripped it of its feathers. The moral of this fable is that traitors deserve exposure, shame, and strong punishment. Bats must have mammal-looking paws instead of bird feet, right? I think that's what this is noticing about that animal. Okay? This one is the lion, the ass, and the fox. A lion, an ass, and a fox formed a partnership and went out hunting together. They took a great quantity of game. The lion then ordered the ass to divide the spoils among the three of them, and the ass very carefully divided the meat into three equal piles. He then said to the lion, help yourself to one of the piles. The lion became infuriated, and he attacked the ass and killed it. Then the lion ordered the fox to divide the spoils. The fox gathered all the meat together into one huge pile, and then said to the lion, help yourself. The lion, very pleased, asked the fox, who taught you to divide so well? The fox replied, the fate of the ass. All right, now we're going to uh, read some fables that really aren't about social satire so much, but they're full of general wisdom about life. Um, so they're going to have a variety of morals that sort of reach into various kinds of our uh, experiences. Um, and Amanda's going to start here. This one is entitled, The Mouse and the Frog. A mouse was on pilgrimage to Rome to do penance for his many sins, and he came to a river. Wishing to cross it, but not being able to swim, the mouse sat by the river and lamented. A frog came along and noticed the mouse's dejection. What's wrong? asked the frog. The mouse replied, I want to cross the river, but I don't know how to swim. The frog said, I can help you. Come with me. I'll tie a piece of string to my foot, and the other side can go around your waist, and I'll pull you safely across. The mouse agreed, and the frog arranged the string and jumped into the water. Then the frog suddenly decided to murder the mouse, so he took a deep dive, pulling the mouse down with him. Just as the frog rose to the surface with the mouse still struggling to save himself from drowning, a kite flew overhead and spotted the mouse on the surface of the water. He swooped down and grabbed it, taking the attached frog with it. He ate them both, happily, feeling lucky to have stumbled across a doubly satisfying meal. The moral of this fable is that evil people themselves will end up entrapped by their own wicked designs. At least in a just world. <laughs> and this one's a little odd. Um, it's called The Lion and the Peasant. A peasant befriended a lion once, and the two conversed on many topics together. They spoke about their lineages, and the lion boasted, I'm the son of a king, a member of the royal family. The peasant was upset by this boast, so he took the lion to see a painting which depicted a man killing a lion with an axe. See? said the peasant, men are better and stronger than lions. The lion said, but who painted the picture? Was it a man? 
The peasant admitted, yes, it was a man. Come with me, said the lion, and the lion led the peasant to a castle where there was a lion pit in the back. The emperor had just thrown a criminal into the pit with the lion, and the lion was making pretty easy work of killing the man instantly. See, said the lion, you showed me a painting of a man and a lion, but I've shown you the real things. In reality, lions kill men, not the other way around. The moral of the fable is, don't trust fables or any work of art. Believe only what you see. This one is Venus and the Cat. A cat prayed the Venus to be transformed into a beautiful maiden, and the goddess answered her prayer. The cat became a lovely girl, who subsequently fell in love with the boy and he with her. While they were in bed together, Venus wanted to know if the girl had any of her cat nature left inside her. So she sent a mouse into the bedroom. The girl leapt out of bed, chased the mouse, caught it, and ate it. The boy fled. <laughs> Venus then changed the girl back into a cat, which was her true identity. This fable proves that evil and dishonest people, though their exterior aspects may be changed, never renounce their true race of life. This one is entitled The Wolf and the Dog. A wolf and a dog met while passing through the woods one day. The wolf looked closely at the dog and then said, Brother, you look so fine. You have such shiny fur. And the dog said, Yes, that's true. I eat very well, getting all the food I want. And every day I curl up and rest at my master's feet and gnaw on bones he gives me. All this is why I look so fine. If you would like to come and join me, you'll have more food than you could ever wish for. Sure, the wolf replied, and they went off together. Before they reached the town, the wolf noticed that the dog was wearing a collar and dragging a chain behind him. Brother, said the wolf, what an odd thing you have around your neck. What is it? That's my collar and leash, said the dog. All week long, I am tied to it so that I won't ruin my master's possessions. And every night, all night long, I stay awake to guard the house from thieves. What? cried the wolf. Do you mean that you can't go anywhere on your own? Well, I'm out of here. I'd rather live free as a starving wolf than chained and with a full belly. And with that, the wolf went running back into the woods. Okay, yeah, the toad. Okay, this is called the toad. Once a young toad received an invitation to go to the lion's royal banquet. He and his family were so excited on the important day that the young toad forgot to put on his shoes before leaving the house. When the toad's father realized that the boy had left his shoes behind, he hired a messenger to deliver them. Take these shoes to my son at the banquet, he asked. The messenger said, well, wait a minute. How will I know which one is your son? The father said, oh, that's easy. He'll be the most beautiful one there. And the messenger looked puzzled. Is your son a peacock? 
Is your son a deer? Is your son a leopard? No, said the father, he looks just like me. He's got a huge head and big bulging eyes and bugged out, big huge belly, webbed feet, and he's slimy all over. <laughs> the moral of this fable is, to he who is a toad, or who loves a toad, the toad is a beautiful animal. <laughs> This one is the donkey and the lapdog. There was a rich man who had a small lapdog as a pet. He enjoyed having the dog bark, leap up onto his lap, and lick his face. Clearly, the man loved his little dog very much. The man's donkey saw all this merriment through the window, and he too wanted to be loved by his master. So he decided to do what the dog did. He burst into the house, brayed loudly, jumped up onto the master's lap and began licking him in the face. The master screamed, help, help! And the household servants came running with clubs and maces with which they beat the donkey mercilessly until he could hardly stand. He returned in great pain to his hall in the stable. We can learn from this fable that those who aspire to a higher place in life, one that is not suitable for them, will end up in a worse position than before. This one is The Wolf at School. Once upon a time, a wolf decided to become a monk. He was given a cowl and the tonsure. Then, he was sent to school to learn his letters. In the schoolroom, while learning to read the Psalms, the wolf was asked by the master, P-A-T-E-R. What does it spell? The wolf thought for a minute and then said, Lamb. The wolf was beaten by the master for getting the lesson wrong. The next day, the master inquired, D-E-U-S. What does it spell? The wolf replied, lamb. The wolf was again beaten for his ignorance. The third day, the master made the lesson easier by working only with the alphabet. A B, C. What comes next? The wolf said, Lamb. With this, the master kicked the wolf out the door and sent him back to the woods. The moral of this story is that no matter how one is dressed, one will always reveal one's true nature. This one is uh, another mouse one. I have to confess, I'm, I love medieval mice. In fact, I'm writing in a serious way about them. So I, I picked a lot of fables with mice in them. This is called The Mouse Takes a Wife. There was once a vainglorious, prideful mouse who wanted to marry someone way above himself in social station. He would never, he said, marry a woman unless she was the daughter of a powerful being, the strongest in the land. So he went to the sun to ask for the hand of his daughter, for the sun was mighty, hot in summer, and with beams that covered the whole earth. But the sun said, look, if you look around a little harder, you'll find somebody stronger than I, namely the cloud for it shades me and covers me up sometimes. So the mouse went to the cloud and asked for the hand of his high-born daughter. 
the cloud replied that the mouse should continue to look, for there was a being stronger than him, namely the wind, for the wind could make the cloud flee and disappear. So the mouse went to the wind and asked for the hand of his high-born daughter. The wind replied that the mouse should look further, for there was a being even stronger than him, namely the tower wall, for the tower wall could withstand the wind, putting up a great defense. So the mouse went to visit the tower wall and asked him for the hand of his high-born daughter. The tower wall replied, I've recently met a being who is stronger than me. This creature destroys my mortar, digs underneath me, causes me to crumble and fall. This creature is the mouse. So the vainglorious mouse ended up marrying another mouse, and all was well. This fable teaches us that we should not try to rise above our natures, and that we should not scorn our birthrights. Our most appropriate mates come right from our own social stations. Okay. All right, now we're going to read you a longer fable. And this one it has many more artistic aspirations than the ones we've just read to you. We're going to read you the story of Chanticleer and the Fox. This is an English, actually Scottish, version of the, the, the Cock and the Fox fable, written by Robert Henryson, who was a schoolmaster, lived between 1425 and 1500, lived in a little town up in Scotland, uh, Dumfermline, not too far from Edinburgh. Uh, what Henryson does with this fable is he takes the bare bones of it and he kind of develops it. Um, he develops it by making the, the figures in it genuine characters. They've got traits, they've got attitudes, they've got longer dialogue. It's almost a short story by the time he's done with it. Um, we're we're going to kind of take parts. The main characters are, of course, the cock and the fox, but the hens uh, in the barnyard get to play a fairly large role in Henryson's little fable here. And I think it might be worth talking about it for a bit when we're done. It's, it's really interesting what he's done with this Latin fable. Um, I've translated it from Scottish English into something modern so that you can get a sense of his poetry, but yet um, you can understand it too. So I'll begin here, Chanticleer and the Fox. Though brute beasts are irrational, yet each one has a natural disposition, the fierce bear, the wolf, the wild lion, the deceitful fox, crafty and cunning, the dog who barks at night to guard the house. So different are they in their qualities and having so much diversity, it exceeds my skill to write about it. But I will tell you about an incident that befell a while ago between a fox and gentle Chanticleer. A widow dwelt in a village once. She eked out her living by spinning. She had very little else except a flock of hens. And to keep them, she had a jolly cock who crowed, marking the division between night and day. A little ways from the widow's house was a thorny thicket. 
wherein a crafty and cunning fox made his daily residence. He did great damage to the widow by picking off poultry day and night, and there was no way for her to stop it. This wily fox at dawn came into the barnyard hungry, where Chanticleer had flung down from his roost. The fox saw him and considered the trickery and wiles that might help him beguile the cock. Feigning and putting on an act, he got down on his knees and deceitfully said, Good morning, my gentle master Chanticleer. With that, the cock jumped backwards with a start. Sir, by my soul, you need not be afraid, nor be startled or flee. I've come here only to do you service. It would be shameful if I didn't serve you, for I have served your ancestors. Your father often filled my belly and sent me food from far and wide, and at his death I held his head and gave him warm drink, till at the last the sweet man died in my arms. Did you know my father? asked the cop, and he laughed. Yea, my fair son. I held his head as he was dying under a birch bough, and then I said the dewy gay when he was dead. Why should there be tension between us? Whom should you trust but me, your servant, who did such great honor to your father? When I behold your feathers, fair and gentle, your beak, your breast, your hackle, your comb, served by my soul of the blessed sacrament, my heart warms and I feel right at home. To serve you, I would creep on my belly in frost and snow and weather wan and wet and lay my gray lockets under your feet. This fading fox, false and dissimulating, made one critical remark to the cock. You have, I think, degenerated from your father's nature. He was the best crower, but he would stand on his tiptoes and crow. This is no lie. I saw him do it. With that, the cock stood on his tiptoes, cast up his beak, and sang with all his might. The fox remarked, Well done, I say. You are your father's rightful son and heir, but you lack one little trick of his. What? said Chanticleer. He would wink as he crowed and turn around three times. <laughs> Chanticleer, Infaulted with false pride, inflated with false pride, that causes many to fall into confusion, trusting to win great worship thereby, carelessly winking, strode up and down, and then puffed himself up to prepare to crow. And suddenly, before he crowed a note, the fox was ready and grabbed him by the throat. Then to the woods he ran without delay. The hens, Pertok, Sprotok, and Kopak cried. The widow heard, and with a scream she came out. Seeing what had happened, she gave a shout. Thief! Thief! Alas, now gentle Chanticleer is lost! She yelled and cried and tore at her hair and beat her breast. Pale of hue, she fell down into her swoon. The hens left off eating and began to talk among themselves. Alas, Chanticleer, said Pertok, making sore mourning, with tears falling down her cheeks. He was our beloved, our day's darling, our nightingale, and our alarm clock. Our wakeful watcher to warn us when Aurora, with her gray kerchiefs, put out her head to bring us all the day. 
who shall be our lover? Who shall lead us? When we are sad, who shall sing to us? With his sweet beak, he would break bread for us. In all this world, was there any kinder act? In lovemaking, he would bring us pleasure, at least to the extent that nature gave him the power. Now, after him, alas, how will we live? The other hens, Brutok, said, Oh, sister, stop your mourning. You're silly to moan about him like that. We'll be fine. As the proverb says, as good a love comes as goes. I'm going to put on my holiday clothes and celebrate this jolly day by singing, Was never a widow so gay. He was peevish and held us in subjection. And he always was pricked with jealousy. Of his skill in the bedroom, well, I mean, Peritok, you know as well as I that he was sort of cold and dry. Since he's gone, sister, uh, let's be happy, for that's the best thing to do. Let the living be alive and the dead be dead. Then Peritok spoke, who had pretended loyalty to the cock and who always preferred lust to love. Sister, you are right. A score of roosters like him wouldn't suffice to slake our appetites. I bet within a week we'll get a better man to claw our rumps. The third hen, Kopik, who talked like a priest, said, What happened to him was a punishment from God. He was so loose and lecherous, even seven girls weren't enough for him. God punishes adulterers sorely. He was prideful, and he rejoiced in his sin and didn't care for God's favor. And he thought he'd always be in charge. So at the last, his sins led him to a shameful end. Therefore, it is in the hand of God that caused him to be seized by the fox. When this was said, the widow arose from her swoon. She called out her dogs, Berkey, Barry, Bell, Bozzy, Brownie. Nadia Clyde, rescue my noble clock before he is slain, or else never return to me. The dogs rushed out as fire from flint they flew over the fields. They ran until they saw the fox, who prayed to God to get safely into his den. Then Chanticleer, inspired with a great idea, said, Do what I say and I'll guarantee your safety. You are hungry and tired and can't go much further. Turn around and tell the dogs that you and I have become fast friends. This will make the dogs stop, I promise. The crafty fox was deceived by this, for falsehood always fails. He turned around and said to the dogs what the cock had told him to say, and with that, the cock was kicked up into a tree. Thus beguiled, the fox got down on his knees under the tree and said, Good Chanticleer, come down again, and I promise to be your slave for a year. No, you thief. My bloody hackle on my neck so black and blue has ended the love between us two. I was unwise when I shut my eyes and I almost lost my head. The fox said, I was foolish too and couldn't be still, making my prey a matter of debate. With that, the cock took flight and returned to the widow's henhouse. Now, worthy folk, although this is a fable, yet you can find a suitable message. 
The cock stands for foolish and vainglorious men who are proud of their kin and bloodlines, which is presumptuous. This feigned fox can stand for flatterers with white words which have false meaning they intoxicate. These two sins, flattery and vaingloriousness, are venomous. Flee them, therefore. Okay. Um, okay, that's actually the end of our program, and so we want to just see if anyone has any questions. I think this last one has plenty of, I, I don't want to say misogyny in it. Those hens um, you know, are pretty nasty, very lecherous creatures. On the other hand, they're getting a chance to speak about the subjection that the men have placed them under, Chanticleer especially. So it's an interesting way for women to have a voice here. Um, it's, it's more complicated than you might first imagine. Um, questions yeah, about any of our fables here? Um, notice their social conservatism a lot. Um, on the other hand, notice that they champion the poor and the weak. So I mean, it, you know, it's complicated uh, where they fit in the, the social stratum, I think. And too, even though you have sort of potentially moral themes, there's a sort of very realistic sexual undertone with oh, yes. chickens and so on, too. Which I think They're just chickens, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, the animals sometimes behave like their own animals, and sometimes they're human. And, and part of the fun of these fables is that switching around from one world to the other so rapidly. And I think all the authors play with that in the fable for humor um, a little bit. Yeah. Well, there are many, uh, yeah. In fact, you know, there are there are you know, I, when I went looking for these fables, um, you know, some of them had thirty versions. They're all slightly different, you know, in emphasis. As you know, Chaucer did the Chanticleer one. His is different from this. And there are shorter ones of the same. So these fables, you know, they're circulating just all over the place, and everybody's adding or tweaking them to uh, make them appropriate to their audiences. So they're just a very large part of medieval people's literary experience. So it's nice to make them available. Um, they aren't very easily available in translation. The class system, right. Right, and I, I think little boys would have learned about the class system, uh, about who's above you in social status, who's below you, from, you know, from these fables. And I think largely the fables teach you to stay in the one you're born into. Um, on the other hand, if you're poor, like a peasant or of the lower classes, it does point out injustice that the class system per perpetrates. So um, the fables are quite well aware of the realities of medieval life. And although they're not radical about changing those realities, they're astute on the question of social satire. Yeah. Anything else anyone wants to ask about? Um, yeah. You said these were kind of hard to find in translation. Very hard. I translated these from Latin mostly, um, and Italian and French. Um, they're just not widely available in English translation. Really. Right. I think the Aesop ones are collected and translated, and you can probably get them in Penguin paperback. But these medieval versions, you know, they're not considered great literature, I think, and therefore they've been neglected. 
um, as a subject for modern study, but they're well worth leaping into. Very, very interesting glimpses. Yeah, hard to find. Other things? Okay, well, we can, um, you know, I want to thank you guys for coming. Really, it's very hard to compete with spring here. And, you know, please help yourself to some snacks. A coffee, I think, is available here especially for you. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, you guys did really well.